Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, December 3rd, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined by Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. All right, Brad, let's get into it. What have we been doing? I haven't really been doing much. What have you been doing? Uh, well, I am behind on my Christmas decorating, and I feel bad about it. There's just been... Um, a lot going on, very busy, trying to get it done. And have you have you decorated for Christmas? Well, uh, I don't remember if this is the fourth or fifth annual Vince Guerrero Day. Uh, you've probably heard me talk about this yes, before. Yes, yes. Uh, it's the day after Thanksgiving, and that's the day when my wife and I just, we save all of our Christmas stuff until that moment. We have Thanksgiving, we let it be its own thing, and then we... Yeah, put up all the decorations and go get a Christmas tree and start listening to Christmas music and that whole deal. So, uh, yes, we have we have uh, I think completed the full on decoration phase now. Lucky, very lucky. Yeah, we still <laughs> we're in the midst of putting up the tree and all my crazy ornaments and all that jazz. So we're we're trying to get it done. I'm kind of under the wire too because uh, on top of that, um, I'm going to London next week, which um, I, I can't say anything like specific about yet, uh, just to be safe. But suffice to say, there will be some cool things from me in the future from uh, that trip that you can keep an eye for on Slash Film. And so uh, also, if you're a listener and you have been to London during the holidays or you live there and you have suggestions uh, on what to do, like uniquely British Christmas experiences and whatnot that's happening, um, I've heard about stuff like the Hyde Park Winter Wonderland Festival and uh, just general sightseeing stuff. But if you have any other cool specific things, feel free to email me um, and let me know. Ben will put my email in the show notes and I'll tell you here. It's uh, one bad omen, O-N-E-B-A-D-O-M-A-N at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out and let me know if there's anything cool I should do while I'm there. Man, yeah, that sounds awesome. Uh, I've always wanted to do like the whole Christmas in New York City kind of thing. But yeah, Christmas in a whole different country. I've, ne- I've certainly never experienced. So maybe there is some some cool uh, yeah, British-centric stuff that you can get yourself into during yeah. your free time. My girlfriend has been there a few times and she said that it's pretty magical. So I'm, I'm excited to, to see what's going on there. 
Awesome. All right. So let's get into what we've been watching. Brad, what have you been watching recently? Lots. Since it's been a while since I've been on, I actually remember the last time I was on this this podcast. Um, so I, I've been doing a lot of catching up for award season, lots of things that I hadn't seen yet. Uh, I saw Belfast, which is Kenneth Branagh's new movie. Uh, and the best way to describe it is that it's basically Kenneth Branagh's version of Roma. I think that's the easiest thing thing to say without getting into the the nitty gritty of it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's this great uh, kind of coming of age movie that's uh, inspired by Kenneth Branagh's own experiences as a kid. Um, And it just has a, it's a very, um, a very nice crowd crowd pleaser. You know, um, it's not quite as uh, thematically deep um, as something like Roma. I think Alfonso Cuaron definitely, um, made a, a movie that is maybe more impactful, but this movie is is very touching, very heartwarming. It has uh, an incredible cast. I I was super impressed by by everybody in this movie, uh, specifically uh, Katriona Balfi. Is that how you say her name? I think it's Katrina because it's spelled oh, it? really uh, unconventionally. But I, I heard an interview with her where somebody referred to her as Katrina, and she didn't okay. correct them. So I guess I haven't, that's I haven't heard point. her name said until right now. So all right, that's way easier. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so yeah, so Katrina Balfi, uh, she is mesmerizing in this movie, uh, very specifically too. like, there's something about her eyes. They, I know this movie is in black and white, so you don't ever see them, uh, in color, but she has these very striking blue eyes and that comes through even in black and white, which is really impressive. Um, so yeah, if this is playing in your area, I would definitely recommend, uh, going to see it. It's a breezy movie too. It's not a long indulgent, uh, prestige movie, even though it's obviously going to be up for some awards, probably it's just over an hour and a half. So extremely brief and good time at the movies. Yeah. I saw this one as well. This is the only piece of uh, crossover that we have here. And this movie won the, audience award the people's choice award at the toronto international film festival which is typically like a um what is the word a uh, a bellwether for the oscars for like best picture a lot of movies that went on to win best picture won you know picked up that award at toronto um i don't know if that i feel like that kind of unfairly puts a little bit of a target on this movie's back already in terms of like expectations and stuff, because I went into it knowing that and thinking like, okay, here's a, you know, rubbing my hands together. Like here's a best picture contender. And I just came away from it thinking like, oh yeah, that was nice. Like I enjoyed watching Belfast in the moment, uh, but I haven't really thought about it again afterwards, uh, especially not compared to something like you mentioned with Roma, where like Roma has scenes where, you know, it gets pretty intense. And I was thinking about them uh, later on, you know, weeks later, just like, oh, geez, this is, the man, that, that movie goes to some places. And yeah, Belfast weirdly, is, oh, it's, a, it's like the, the end of Roma actually kind of feels like the beginning of Belfast, but then things kind of get better instead of getting worse in, in, yeah. a, in, a, in a way. Yeah, I also enjoyed the cast. I mean, I thought everybody was really good. Jamie Dornan, who, I mean, did he like burst onto the scene like originally in the 50 shades of gray movies i feel like that was the first time i ever heard his name is that, is that yeah correct? that's i think that that was like his breakthrough thing because that's also when i became familiar with him so i wouldn't be surprised if he had a presence like um on on television somewhere before that you know like a lot oh of yeah stuff. i'm looking it up right now it looks like he was on a show called the fall opposite jillian anderson oh um, there you go okay so yeah that was that predated the 50 shades thing i think oh, and apparently but, um, he was in once upon a time as well so oh wow yeah, yeah totally yeah, missed that 50 shades of gray obviously is a big thing and yeah between this 
and his role in uh, Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. Yep. <laughs> I, I've done a complete turnaround on caring about Jamie Dornan, much in the same way that I did with Channing Tatum, thanks to 21 Jump Street. Um, yeah. And so, so yeah, that's I'm, I'm very interested in seeing what else uh, this guy's got up his sleeve because he's, yeah. he's, he's a really good actor. Yeah, so I, I think this is, um, I don't know, I, I certainly prefer uh, Kenneth Branagh in this mode to, you know, as opposed to something like um, whatever the hell that that uh, disaster of a movie that he directed earlier was. That, did it come out last year? The one that like went straight to Disney Plus, the one, the kids movie? Oh, um, uh, uh, Artemis Ar- Fowl? Ar- yes, Artemis Fowl. Gosh, <laughs> I completely forgot that he even directed that. So <laughs> Yeah, this one at least has like a sense of, uh, a real sense of place, obviously. The movie is called Belfast, but like uh, a sense of um of perspective and like attachment and humanity behind it whereas you know yeah. some of his bigger franchise stuff you can't really say the same thing about so um yeah i'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it brad i enjoyed it too i just it, i don't know maybe like if you as the listener out there lower your expectations i think that will serve you well going into that movie so um what else have you been watching i also saw spencer uh which is the um the new drama that stars kristen stewart as princess diana of of wales um this was a movie that i know a lot of people were interested in just because it's kristen stewart playing such an iconic figure from you know royalty and and pop culture and whatnot um and it's also a pablo lorraine film so obviously cinephiles were excited about it but for me i was thinking i was like oh cool yeah we're gonna get a, a drama that shows how miserable it is being in the royal family and how unfairly diana was treated something that we are all very aware of um but i actually ended up really liking this movie a lot more than i thought that i would and it's mostly because um it has like a, a horror edge to it to the point where it's almost like watching a version of the shining that stars princess diana um, it's, it's very, uh, uneasy. It has a very haunting score. Uh, it has like, um, it's a slow burn kind of horror though. Like don't go in expecting like jump scares and stuff like that. Um, but I, I was really, uh, engaged by this movie. I thought Kristen Stewart, uh, gives a fantastic performance. Um, Timothy Spall also has a very unsettling, uh, small role in this movie that, that works very well. Um, and yeah, it's just, uh, it was fantastic. I was very surprised by how much I ended up enjoying this movie. Yeah, I, I liked this one a lot too. In, I guess, direct opposition to Belfast, I find myself thinking a lot about Spencer after I saw it. Um, I mean, Stewart's performance is great, but just like the um, that sense of like the walls are closing in and some of the ghostly imagery that, that pops up in that movie, I just think is like really um, evocatively captured and, and super well done. There's like scenes of her walking through um, like a big... Uh, almost like a a grassy field outside of a, a palace and it's everything is like bathed in fog and it's just like oh man this looks like a, a painting or something it's really yeah um, the it's, imagery it's, there is really great it's definitely gothic at times even i think too yeah 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 um so spencer i, I yeah i'm not sure is that movie out how, how did you see it brad did you see it in theaters or yeah or, it's, in, uh, it's in theaters and it should be unless it's left now it, when i saw it it was like pretty much everywhere so hopefully it's still playing around everywhere Cool. Uh, what next? I also saw Licorice Pizza, uh, which is Paul Thomas Anderson's new movie. I was so excited for this one. I'm a big tall, Paul, yeah, big Paul Thomas Anderson fan, uh, and I couldn't wait to see this, especially because it stars Cooper Hoffman, who, if you don't know, is the son of Philip Seymour Hoffman, um, and Alana Haim, who is the um, a musician who is like basically breaking into acting in a huge way. They both give incredible breakthrough performances. Uh, this is a Paul Thomas Anderson movie through and through. It's uh, a story about uh, young reckless love and like um, I it has the style of a coming of age movie but like but it's there's um, without necessarily g- say, giving anything away about how the story develops it's not 
exactly a coming of age movie. And I think that you'll understand what I mean when you uh, see the movie and how, how things play out. But um, it's uh, got a lot of wild tangents as Paul Thomas Anderson movies tend to have, but the, the core characters keep you so engaged and it's just this wild, like electrifying uh, adventure through, you know, young love in Los Angeles, um, you know, during a crazy time in the, in the city. And so, yeah, um, I, yeah, I, I love this movie. I, I can't wait to see it again. Um, it's kind of slow rolling, I think, out in uh, theaters. I know it's in New York and L.A., and I'm not sure if it has expanded much beyond that. I think they're doing like a unique thing where they're like positioning it in very limited showings in major cities right now. So it might be a little while before anyone out there is able to see it. Yeah, I'm in North Florida, and I think it doesn't come out here until Christmas, like Christmas Day. So um, it's going to be a, a few more weeks there. But um, yeah, it's. I mean, I'm I'm very eager to see this one. They're not doing uh, virtual like online screeners of this. Yeah. Sometimes for for us in the in the press, occasionally they'll send us a link so we can watch something and write about it for for work. And they're not doing that with this movie. So they're trying to like I don't know. I guess preserve the theatrical experience for everybody. So uh, I'm gonna have to wait until Christmas like everybody else around here and, and see this movie. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm eager to see it. What, what do you think uh, it it compares to Brad in terms of um, PTA's other filmography? Is there like a, a movie that it feels like, or is it very much its own thing? Um, It has, it probably shares closest with Boogie Nights, I think. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I think that's probably, yeah, I think that's that's the movie that it, it, it is closest to as far as Paul Thomas Anderson's filmography. Okay, yeah, that's good news. Good news for me. I like that movie. So, uh, all right, what next? Uh, I've also seen King Richard, uh, which is oh yeah, this is on my list too. I didn't realize that we had two things to talk about. So go ahead, go ahead. There we go. Yeah, it's um it's on HBO Max now. It's also in theaters. This is uh, the story of Venus and Serena Williams, uh, but I guess more so uh, their father, who um, is a big part of, you know, why they became the big tennis stars that they are. Not to take away, obviously, their talent, but he is, the you know, the one and his daughters would attest to um, being the person who pushed them and really, like, set them on the path to uh, being these incredible athletes. Um, I think the great thing about this movie, though, is, uh, you know, um, aside from reminding us that Will Smith can act when he drops that blockbuster persona he has, um, is that it doesn't paint uh, their father as this perfect figure who made all the right decisions and um, was, you know, always the best father. It, it shows his, his flaws and makes him, you know, a, a three-dimensional character as opposed to this, you know, two-dimensional person to... Uh, admire and inspire other people um there's definitely things that happen that go against the grain of what he wanted to see happen when uh, during their careers and how they develop and show that there's times when he was wrong and didn't make the best decisions um mm-hmm. john barenthal is uh, is great in a supporting role and yeah this is just uh it's um i i really like this movie a lot it was it was better than the average sports drama that i thought it was going to be yeah, I think so too. I think it's it's one of my favorite sports movies. I think the tennis is like exceptionally well captured and and I'm sure there was some CG in there, but uh, I, I dabble around. I mean, I'm not a good tennis player by any means, but I, I play a little bit. So just like the, I think the movie captures the physicality of what it's like to actually be on the court um, really, really effectively. And you sort of get a sense of like the velocity and the momentum and the, the um, you know, the, the all of the, the, uh, 
I don't know, like the sprinting basically that has to go on in order to pull off these amazing moves that Venus and Serena, uh, Venus and Serena pull off. Although mostly this movie focuses on Venus. You see a little bit of Serena playing, um, at, but the movie is kind of Venus and her dad's story. And Serena is kind of like lurking in the background and they even make a point at, at some point later in the movie to be like, all right, Serena, like your your time will come. It's almost, it almost feels like a, a setup for a sequel or something, but um, yeah, the, I, don't, the, I don't think they're the actually going to do that. The tennis cinematic universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but so what do you think about Will Smith's performance here? You mentioned that he's he's not necessarily in full-on movie star mode. This is a, a performance that's being talked about in terms of a potential best actor. Um, he's got He's going up against some pretty stiff competition this year in that category. But what do you think about uh, you know, let's, let's have a conversation about that performance specifically. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, um, it's more subdued than I would have expected this kind of role to be. Um, you, uh, the way that, um, you know, their father speaks, it comes with a certain, um, I, I get to want to say dialect. I don't know. Cause he, he, yeah, he has, I think that's right. Yeah. Cause he, he has a, like a little bit of like a, a speech impediment, but it's, he's not like pushing it over the top. Like he's, it doesn't feel like he's intentionally giving, an Oscar performance. Like I feel like with movies like seven pounds or the pursuit of happiness, it's like, Oh, Will Smith is really going for the Oscar here. Um, and I feel like this one, it's, it's not quite that like big push, even though it is a, a good dramatic performance. I think that he, he maybe reeled in, you know, making it super dramatic. I think that's maybe what made it a little bit more appealing than it otherwise could have been. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, I just don't know. And again, this is like the thing that, that strikes me as being kind of unfair about, uh, about like the, really the existence of awards being attached to movies or being handed out to movies at all is you sort of like, I don't know, as try as I might, Brad, I can't help but kind of look at these things through this lens because that's sort of what the loudest conversation is, is in the room of like, is this an Oscar worthy performance and all of that. And I, you know, I, I try and and sometimes fail uh, to to keep those things separated and just like appreciate the movie for what it is. But um, this one, because it's like you know being set up and and positioned and you know as like such a uh, an Oscar play for Will Smith, if not by him, it, you know his work in the movie, but like certainly by the studio. Um, that uh, yeah, I just I. I don't know. Uh, it, this is definitely a problem with me, and not a problem with the movie or, or the performance. But um, yeah, just something to to think about, I guess. So yeah, I don't uh, really yeah. know what the solution is there. But um, it's one of those yeah. things too, where I think that there are so many good performances that don't necessarily get recognized because they're not like acting performances. Yeah. You know, like a lot of the performances that do end up getting recognized by the Oscars are the ones where like people just go kind of all out and put in like everything into their performance mm-hmm. um, and it, and they make it obvious, you know, of doing so. But there are so many other performances I think are worthy that aren't necessarily, you know, doing a big grand performance, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it definitely does. And like, I, I also want to shout out, um, I think her name is Sanaya Sidney and Demi Singleton who play Venus and Serena in this movie. And mm-hmm. normally I, um, frankly can't stand child actors i think they're, you know there, there's been uh, some talk about like how a lot of children actors are sort of like funneled through the disney system or nickelodeon system and like the you know when they come out on the other side they feel like they're playing to the back row at all times and they are like overly bright and cheery and just like they seem plastic and fake even at age 10 or whatever um and these girls are absolutely not that they're they feel much more grounded and real and just um you know, like a, a, it feels like it's a real lived-in family and performance here, instead of 
the worst case scenario of what this movie could have been. So um, yeah, I think that actually the the entire family dynamic is actually great between all the characters because they're it's not just Venus and Serena Williams. You know, they have a bigger family, mm-hmm. and they they genuinely it felt like a lived in family. Like that there was like a uh, real chemistry between all of them, even in like the the uh, the times when they're like enjoying each other, just being a family, and then also when things get a little bit more tense for various reasons. Yeah. All right. What else have you been watching, Brad? I finally got around to watching Dune. Um, mm. I just uh, kept wanting to watch this, but then never sat down to watch it when it was on HBO Max. And then I realized I was going to miss miss it in theaters. And so I, I caught it at playing at uh, a nearby theater, one of the last in my area that still had it playing. Uh, and finally got a chance to see it on the big screen. I'm glad I saw it in theaters. Um, I must say I was not like completely enamored by this movie. Um, I think that there's a lot of great stuff in it. Um, it has uh, some solid world building, some good performances. Um, it's more of a slow burn, which I was anticipating, but I, I felt the runtime. And it, it feels like the biggest problem that I think that I have, and it doesn't ruin it necessarily, but is it feels somewhat anticlimactic because it's the first half of a story. And mm-hmm. um, I think that that hurts it a lot. I almost would have rather had a longer epic movie that told the whole story as opposed to waiting for the second half. Um, I, I understand, you know, why they're doing it to give, you know, time to certain story elements and maybe just more properly depict, you know, such, such a dense sci-fi world, but there's something about it felt incomplete, even though I still mostly enjoyed it. Um, I just wasn't like wowed like I thought that I would be. Yeah, I was thinking a lot about this um, around the time that I saw Dune and like why that is, why that everybody seems to walk away with that feeling. I mean, it's it's very obvious, like the, the movie ends like, you know, mid adventure, basically. Um, and and I'm I was wondering if they they switched some structuring stuff around a little bit, if maybe people wouldn't have that as the primary feeling that they have when they walked out of the movie, if like the uh, the climactic battle, for instance, where, you know, there's tons of explosions and like people are fighting in the whole, I mean, it's like, it's very epically shot. If that was actually one of the last things you see in the movie, instead of, you almost get like this epilogue of Timothy Chalamet and Rebecca Ferguson's characters back out in the desert, meeting up with uh, Zendaya and Javier Bardem and, and those characters. And then they sort of like set out on a journey and you feel like, you know, it's the end of Fellowship of the Ring or something where or, where it's like, oh, this is not even close to being a complete story. But maybe if they had somehow swapped just those moments where like you, you know, they walk off into the sand, but then it cuts back to, I don't know, I don't know. It doesn't really make sense in terms of the story, but I was just trying to yeah. think if there was some way where you can shift the puzzle pieces to give the audiences a different feeling. But obviously, Denis Villeneuve, the director, has been thinking about this movie for a long time. Um, and, you know, who am I to Monday morning quarterback him and, and second guess these decisions? This is certainly, or this is certainly like something that he wanted and, and did on purpose and, and wanted audiences to feel this way. So I don't know if he just thought maybe people would be more psyched to see the sequel uh, or, or part two, I guess, um, than, than they are. Because I think the thing that you're expressing is like the the uh, predominant reaction that I've seen to the movie is like, Oh yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. But like, God, I really just felt like it, it just cut off. So I don't know if there's any way around that. But Yeah. I don't know either, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm still looking forward to the sequel. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I think it's 2023. If I remember right, uh, they, they announced the, the date for that. So uh, 
yeah, certainly looking forward to that as well. Uh, what else have you been watching? Um, I've been so rewatching New Girl, um, but like at some point it will just turn into watching New Girl because um, I, I watched the show when it premiered and I stuck with it for I think the first three seasons and I didn't stop because I wasn't enjoying it anymore. I I think I fell behind on it and then I I moved and i maybe lost like my dvr recordings mm, or something like mm-hmm. that and so i just never caught up and then um just never really uh never finished the show so uh my girlfriend has has seen it and she i she also didn't finish the whole thing and so she, and she's forgotten some some things as well and so we decided to go back and watch from the beginning um and i really forgot how enjoyable the show was you know um, not just because of you know Zoe Deschanel being very funny when she's you know quirky and uh, and awkward, but because of the you know the entire supporting cast of the show making it work. You know, it's it's situated as to be like um, you know Zoe Deschanel's show, but it's very much an ensemble comedy that works uh, very well because of Jake Johnson and Max Greenfield and Lamorne Morris um, and you know uh, Hannah Simone. So it's uh, it's a show that I'm. I, I I feel like it hasn't really lost anything from it. It's, it's it, it still works very well. It's it's very funny. Um, I I've forgotten enough from the show to like still be engaged where I'm not checking out where I'm like oh I know what happens here. So it's it's been a lot of fun to dig into. I'm I'm still only in the first season. Um, and I know there's some odd things that happen later because uh, Zoe Deschanel got pregnant and Megan Fox kind of replaced her for a little while. And I actually don't even remember how that turned out if it worked or if it was weird or what happened. So <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Where are you watching this? It's on Netflix. It's, okay, cool. Yeah. So that is New Girl. And then what is this last thing that you've been watching? It's just junk, basically. Uh, so I, I like uh, British Bake Off. Um, it's a very fun show to watch uh, contestants, you know, make these incredible uh, baking creations. And uh it's the holidays, so there are a lot of these, like, kind of, like, ha- uh, Christmas uh, cooking shows that are available right now on Food Network and what have you. And one that I just picked up, I I, set, I started recording, like, several of them just as, like, kind of things to throw on when doing holiday stuff and just general screwing around during Christmas. And so it's the Christmas Cookie Challenge. And it's pretty much exactly what you think it is. It's a, a Christmas cookie uh, contest show where they bring in these... Um, bakers who uh are mostly like established they're very skilled in in creating uh these incredibly detailed cookies you know using royal icing and various kinds of dough flavors and things like that and it's um it's not like a big contest where they're narrowing down every week what it is each episode brings in four um cookie creators and then they cut one and then they have one final contest where then and then they choose the winner and they get a, a prize and the title and whatnot and i guess this one they um i think it's the entire season i don't think it was just one episode they're bringing in people who have been contestants on the show before which is apparently it's been going on for a little while hmm. and so they're bringing in previous uh winners to come on and do it and so um, a lot of these people actually like they've seen a big boost in like their businesses after being on the show and like some of the stuff that they they do that they make um, as far as cookies like it's just insane amounts of, of artistry the the drawing with the the frosting and um, just just it's 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 amazing like I'm, I'm super <laughs> impressed by by seeing them and of course I want to try these cookies <laughs> but. Uh, I, have I, you uh, have you sought out any of the people who have been on the show to like 
uh, I don't know, look at their businesses and like order stuff to your house or whatever? Not yet, but I do want to because I've seen some where I'm like, oh, that looks actually looks really good. And so I'm, I wanted to see. But typically these kinds of things are usually pretty expensive since they're so mm. carefully handcrafted. So I'm scared to do that. <laughs> okay, so that's the Christmas cookie challenge. And that is on not, Netflix not, also? It's on Food Network, actually. Oh, Food Network. Okay. All right, cool. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to mention, let's see, three other things that I've been watching. I saw The Card Counter. Have you seen this, Brad? Do you know this movie? Not yet. I'm hoping to include that in my catch-up here before the end of the year. Okay, so this is Paul Schrader's new film. It stars Oscar Isaac as a former, uh, I guess, Abu Ghraib, um, a, a soldier who was like working as a, a um, one of the people who ran the Abu Ghraib facility. Uh and he has now become a card counter, a gambler, um, and he, uh, you know, lives his life by this sort of strict code and and um, is very like regimented with everything. And uh, a young man played by Ty Sheridan comes into his life and uh, basically um, in, initiates a story of of revenge um, in, involving you know some of the the former soldiers that are in Oscar Isaac's character's past. Uh, Tiffany Haddish plays a sort of like a, um, I don't know what you would call her, like a handler or something, like a, a go-between between, between like the, uh, the money people, the investors and gamblers. And she sort of, I guess, recruits um, Oscar Isaac's character. And, and the two of them have this really fascinating relationship. She's almost like a, almost like a film noir figure like some some archetype pulled out of a, a film noir movie um and she is excellent in this movie this is like the a whole new side to tiffany haddish this is not the uh the brash you know over the top personality that you've seen in movies like uh girls trip or, or you know any of the things that she's like primarily known for um this is like a really exciting movie to watch because it shows that she has a whole different gear that she can shift to um, when certain filmmakers use her in, in that way. So I'm, I'm really excited about what this signals for the potential for Tiffany Haddish's career. Um, you know, I like her in those sort of over-the-top uh, movies as much as the next person, but um, it's always just exciting to see somebody, I don't know, it, it, like to say that this is like uh, Jim Carrey in, um, you know, g- going from like Ace Ventura to The Truman Show or something is overstating it, but like I got a similar feeling where it's like, uh, oh, this person can do a whole different type of thing. So um, yeah, Oscar Isaac is, is really great as usual. And, you know, this is a Paul Schrader movie. He, he directed a First Reformed not too long ago. And this movie sort of feels like it's it's in conversation with that film a little bit. So uh, yeah, I would recommend checking out. It's it's not probably not going to be for everybody. It's a, it's a little, uh, yeah, a little bit of a slow burn type of movie. It's very spare, but um, but I thought it was, it was pretty effective. So that is The Card Counter. I guess on the opposite end of the spectrum, the, the complete opposite of spare is House of Gucci, which is Ridley Scott's new movie. Uh, have you had a chance to catch up with this one yet, Brad? Uh, no, I haven't seen it yet. I've been wanting to, but uh, just haven't had the time. I'm, I'm hopefully going to be able to see it in theaters before it leaves. But uh, from what I've heard, it sounds like it could be fun. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed the movie, which is strange because I laughed at the movie a lot while I was watching it. Um, and I, I cannot for the life of me figure out how much of this sort of ridiculous uh, concoction Ridley Scott is aware of and is doing on purpose and how much sort of slipped through. Um, you know, uh, there's just, there's so much to talk about in this movie, but I think the primary thing is like everybody in the film 
So we're talking Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, Jared Leto, Jeremy Irons, Al Pacino, you know, titans of, of Hollywood acting are, they're all playing, I think they're all supposed to be playing Italian characters, uh, but they speak English the whole time through and they each do an Italian accent that feels like it comes straight out of a, you know, a Super Mario Brothers game. Um, Jared Leto in particular is just going for it, like capital G going for it uh, in a way where he he is just like Waluigi in this movie. Like it, every single line delivery is uh, is the most absurd, um, like stereotypical uh, fake Italian accent that you, <laughs> that you could possibly imagine. Um, you know, even, even like... Al Pacino, who uh, is, is you know, Al Pacino, of course, has like a reputation for like, hoo and like going big. Uh, but he's also, a, a, you know, arguably one of the greatest, actor, uh, greatest American actors in history. And when he wants to, he can be pretty subtle. This is like a, a relatively low, lower key Al Pacino performance, which I really appreciated. Um, but uh, even he sounds like... He's doing an accent that sounds like uh, like Adam Sandler in the Hotel Transylvania movies or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, Brad, like, yeah, I, I, it, I, you know, that's that's what I was laughing at for the most part. It was just like hearing these characters speak for the first time and um, and just like, wow, you're really you're choosing this, huh? Okay, all right, I guess I guess this is a movie that really Scott's making. But like, you know, uh, I guess silly accents aside. Um, there's actually a lot here that I, I really appreciated. I, I did not know the story of like what happens with the, you know, the, the, um, sort of inter family dynamics of the, the Gucci family. And there's a, there's like some stuff it, it, this movie builds to a, a moment, uh, that I was not, I didn't really know anything about. So, um, you know, I, on a narrative level, I was surprised I was engaged all the way through, uh, it, it, the movie feels like it, it knows what it's doing a lot of the time, but there are some, there are some moments where I just sort of had to shake my head and just be like, okay, all right, what's going on here? So yes, I had a lot of fun with House of Gucci. Uh, I don't think it's going to end up on my favorite movies of the year list, but yeah, it is an enjoyable experience. So I would definitely recommend seeking this out. Uh, Ridley Scott, man, he, he knows how to make a movie. He knows how to like create, uh, really compelling imagery and and um you know he that was like one of my favorite things about prometheus and you say what you will about the the idiocy of the characters in that movie but god like he just knows how to shoot the hell out of a movie and that that continues to port over here in house of gucci so uh definitely worth checking out and then finally i saw last night in soho this is edgar wright's new movie brad have you seen this one yet no unfortunately i haven't gotten a chance to see this one i'm i'm it's not playing anywhere near me anymore. I, I missed out on it. I kept putting it off, and now that's my problem. Uh, I know that it's on VOD, but I, I'm going to wait because I'm hoping that it's still playing in theaters in the UK since Edgar Wright you know, is obviously a British filmmaker, and it, maybe it'll be sticking around over there. But if it's not, oh, yeah. then I'll probably just have to watch it at home. But fingers crossed that I'll be able to see it in theaters in, in London. Yeah, this movie is... Um, if any other director made this, I would be... I would okay. So so let me back up. I liked the movie. Uh, I thought it was it was um, exceptionally stylish and uh, really really well done for the most part. There are some some quibbles that I have with it that I won't bring up here, but um, because they get into some spoilery stuff that I don't even want to pretend to hint at here. But uh, 
man, like I think the most interesting thing about this is as like somebody who knows the films of Edgar Wright pretty well, and you you're you fall into this boat as well, Brad. Um, it's just so fascinating to to see him evolve as a filmmaker, and this is such a different type of thing than what he has done in the past. I mean, it, it like the the days of Edgar Wright, you know, doing uh, blatant um, you know comedic send ups seem to be over, and he's like transitioned into a new era in his career. And um, I, as much as I love movies like Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and, and that whole uh, period of his of his storytelling, I think I'm, I don't know, that some maybe it's just the fact that I'm getting older and he's getting older and maybe he's just interested in, in expansion and doing more things and sort of pushing himself as an artist. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very, very curious to see if this uh, signals a different, um, if, if he continues to go down this path and like explore some kind of darker material, like even, you know, he's, he's touched on some, some notes of darkness over his career, but this is like, if the previous movies have had, have been, uh, pop songs with like a couple little notes of darkness, I, I would say that this movie is like a full on, um, I don't know, like a, a song that is all dark if that makes any sense so uh yeah there's there are really i mean there's humor in the movie but it is not a comedy uh in in the the truest sense of the word so uh it's also the first time that he's worked with i think the first time he's worked with a female co-writer um, christy wilson cairns who wrote 1917 co-wrote the script with him and um this is the first time i think that he has made a movie that uh, features a female lead. So Thomas and McKenzie is in this and Anya Taylor-Joy is like the the um, other character that she sort of interacts with. And, and McKenzie plays this character who lives in London in modern day and ends up uh, somehow encountering um, Anya Taylor-Joy's character who lived in London in the 60s. And there's like a whole uh, mystery about how what exactly is going on and, and that whole thing. So I don't want to spoil any of that. But um, yeah, I've really enjoyed this movie. There's a lot to say about it. Uh, hopefully maybe we can have a, a spoiler conversation about it once it's been out for long enough for people to see it. But yes, it is still, um, it, it is, uh, available on demand right now. So I would recommend catching up with it if you missed it the first time around. Uh, all right, Brad, let's get into what you've been eating. All right. I will try to make this fast. Um, but there's some cool things with the holidays and lots of random stuff is out there right now. Uh, one thing that isn't holiday related, actually, maybe the only thing that isn't holiday related on this list, um, is something uh, from Pillsbury called a stuffed waffle. And it is, uh, I'm a big fan of like just quick, easy frozen breakfast foods in the mornings because I don't always have time to sit there and cook bacon and eggs as much as I would want to. So uh, I like to get stuff like breakfast burritos or like little breakfast bowls and stuff like that. Uh, and I found out that Sam's Club is carrying these things that are called stuffed waffles. And it's it's basically what it sounds like. It's like a um, uh, a waffle, like a thick waffle. And inside of it is uh, eggs, sausage and cheese. Um, and it's, it's really actually pretty tasty. It's, it's, um, like a, a, a McGriddle, but everything is just like stuffed inside. It has, uh, it's not too sweet. Um, it has a little bit of like uh, maple syrup flavor in the waffle itself. Uh, and then, uh, it mixes well with the savory thanks to the, the breakfast food inside of it. Um, and I actually, I really like it. It's just an easy thing to toss, uh, in the microwave and, you know, uh, just a nice quick handheld breakfast. So that's the Pillsbury stuffed waffle. Yeah. It sounds good. Yeah. Not bad. Um, Swiss Miss peppermint hot chocolate is out there now. Uh, obviously Swiss Miss is a hot chocolate staple. You always get the pouches, mix it with milk, what have you. Don't mix it with water. That's gross. It's not nearly as good. Um, and previously they would only put out, out the 
the peppermint flavor in like these like special tins that came out around the holidays. It's not like a regular thing that would come out in the pouches, but they finally have it out um, in normal boxes. And I got some. And then as an added bonus, I actually uh, also stumbled upon um, peppermint bark rumchata, which if you don't know uh, what rumchata is, it's an alcoholic beverage that uh, has like a it's a cinnamon toast crunch flavor is the best way to describe it. It's, it's a cream liqueur with notes of uh, cinnamon and vanilla. And this one is that, but with a peppermint bark flavor. And I mixed that with the peppermint hot chocolate. And it was uh, the perfect thing to warm you up after you've been outside putting Christmas lights up in freeze, freezing weather, which is something that, <laughs> that happened last weekend. So um, if you're looking for a quick pick me up, get yourself some Swiss Miss peppermint hot chocolate, put some peppermint bark from shot in there and just, just feel good about yourself. <laughs> So I used to drink Swiss Miss when I was a kid, Brad. And then a few years ago, I discovered uh, Ghirardelli has this like double chocolate hot cocoa mix that I just feel like blows Swiss Miss out of the water. Have you ever had the Ghirardelli uh, hot chocolate? I haven't. But since you said that, I'll have to see if I can find it to try it out. Man, there's just something about it. Like the I think it's the, you know, sometimes maybe it was just the version of Swiss Miss that I got. But my memory is like it, it didn't require milk. It was like water. You could add water to it yeah, or there, something you can't you can make the hot chocolate with water but it is nowhere near as good as if you uh, do it with milk okay so maybe that that is the difference and if you can use milk with the swiss miss stuff that you're talking about then uh then maybe it won't be as big of a gulf uh <laughs> in quality between my memory and and this uh Ghirardelli stuff that i've been having so maybe it won't be quite as a transcendent a leap for you as it was for me when i when i made that jump but um anyway it's I pretty mean, good and you should try it i'm just curious what you think about it yeah i mean Ghirardelli makes great chocolate so i'm assuming there's probably a bit of a jump in quality there yeah. Um, what else? On the soft drink side, uh, there's uh, so this is a Seven Up flavor. It's pomegranate, and uh, it was out a long time ago, like in the early 2000s for a bit, and then it went away for a long time. Came back in like 2016, and then it's been gone since then. But it's back. I'd never tried it before, so I was curious to give it a shot, and uh, it's okay. It's uh, the the pomegranate flavor is not very strong. Um, it's, it's, I think it's probably better if you're just going to like mix it for like a holiday punch of some kind, because Mm -hmm. just drinking it by itself, it's not super, super impressive. But if you toss it in with some, some fruit juice and things like that, I bet you it would be a nice compliment to a big, you know, punch bowl filled with uh, a lot of different things. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, there's also a a candy apple flavored Fago soda. Uh, you know, Fago obviously known for being the soft drink of choice of uh, insane clown posse fans. Um, but it, they they do occasionally have some pretty decent uh, flavors of soda out there. And I saw this one at a gas station and picked it up. Um, it is too sweet for my taste, which is saying something. Uh, it definitely captures the candy apple flavor but the candy part is more overwhelming it really does taste like a liquefied version of the goop that you find uh (laughs) on candy candy apples and so um it's it's not terrible but it's just it's very very sweet so if if that's your style then by all means enjoy but it's it was not something that i will probably go back for for seconds on (laughs) fair enough uh, I also tried uh, sugar cookie toast crunch mini treats, which is a very long thing to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> in case you haven't heard, uh, cinnamon toast crunch has a holiday cereal variant that's called sugar cookie toast crunch, and it's uh, cinnamon toast crunch, but instead of just cinnamon toast flavor, it's a sugar cookie flavor, and it is it's one of the best 
holiday cereal offerings that there has been in, in a long time. It is so good. I always get a couple boxes um, every year since it started coming out. And this year they've turned it into these like mini uh, cereal treats. And honestly, they're not as good as the cereal itself. I don't know if it's because like since they, the, um, the, like the the chocolate or cream, whatever you want to call it, that uh, sticks the cereal together is maybe uh, changing the flavor of the cereal. But it, the, mm-hmm. the cereal itself is much better just in a bowl with with milk rather than having it in treat form. So they're they're not bad, but I would just prefer to have have the cereal instead. Yeah, I tried the um, I think it was the cinnamon toast crunch uh, sort of yeah, like the it's like a bar almost. It's like a, a rice krispie treat kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I tried one of those and, and I love cinnamon toast crunch as a cereal and found myself thinking the same thing. Like, Oh, this isn't quite as good as just like having a bowl of the cereal because of whatever that, yeah, the, the, uh, I don't know, there's some sort of chemical, uh, process that takes place for them to be able to stick everything together into bar form that just like alters the taste. I think. Yeah. I find that actually most of the cereal bars are like that. The only two that I think I have, I think that the, the snack bar form or cereal bar form works very well is, um, there's uh, Fruity Pebbles has like a cereal bar that actually is really good because the Fruity Pebbles flavor is just good no matter what. And then um, Golden Grams has like a s'mores snack bar that uses Golden mm. Grams cereal. And that one is uh, is really good too. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. And then the last thing here is uh, something I, I didn't think was real. <laughs> yeah, it's a. I was surprised too. And my immediately thought is the same one that you're probably going to have when I say this. And it's Hot Chocolate Big League Chew. Um, yeah, Big League Chew, that bubble gum that comes in like little shreds that is meant to like be kind of like chewing tobacco, but for kids, um, it's, uh, it has a hot chocolate flavor. <laughs> I, I learned about this last year and I never found it. And then I saw that it was back this year and I stumbled upon it. So I got some, it's not as bad as you think it's going to be. Um, if you like Tootsie Rolls and like chewy chocolate candies like that, you'll probably enjoy this. And for me, I actually don't like the regular Tootsie Roll very much. I'm a I'm a, a fruit Tootsie Roll person. Fruit rolls, I think they're called. Um, but I wasn't put off by the flavor because the 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 dust that is like um, on the the bubble gum itself is like a it, it seems like that's the marshmallow element of the hot chocolate, and it it offsets what is like the the lesser appealing chocolate flavor of the Tootsie Roll, and it just kind of it, it works. It's basically just like you're you're chewing you know a I guess like a like hot chocolate bumblegum like i mean that and that's what it is but it's it's very um it's very odd because especially because if you're eating big league chew you're expecting either the bubblegum flavor or some kind of fruity flavor to go along with it and so like Mm -hmm. it takes a while for like your mouth to kind of get acclimated be like oh this isn't fruity it's a chewy chocolate taste and um but i didn't dislike it i didn't but I didn't love it either. So if you're, <laughs> if you're feeling adventurous and you, you know, like those kinds of, of chocolate things, you give, give it a try. I, I found it at Walgreens. I think you should be able to spot it in any of the seasonal candy aisles out there at various stores right now. Okay. Uh, sounds good. Well, yeah, I'm going to put Brad's email address in the show notes here. So if you, uh, if any, we have any UK listeners who have any tips for him, definitely reach out and let him know. Uh, Brad, good luck on your trip. And uh, we'll talk to you when you, when you get back. Uh, have fun. And um, yeah, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find 
more about some of the projects that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. And make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you next week.